Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, we continue our study through the New Testament. Uh, We just got done with our studies through the pastoral epistles. Now, if you're listening for the first time, make sure you listen to those studies. The studies from 1 Corinthians all the way to the book of Philemon. Uh, it's going to take you some time, but it will help you to grow and mature in Christ and understand the framework and uh, the framework and recipe and formula for righteousness conduct for us as Christians, for you and me as Christians. But then at the same time, conduct for pastors so that you and I, the word of God reveals to us, the Lord revealed to us what the formula is for righteousness. And, you know, it gives us the indicators of what to look for at, for in overseers because the overseers are a pattern for emulation, a pattern for us to follow, to see godliness, to see godliness in a fellowship, to see godliness in the lives of the saints in the fellowship. And it's so powerful because when, when that is evident in a fellowship, Now you have the effectuation of beautiful things inside of the fellowship. Now, of course, it happens inside of you and me, but as one body in Christ, you see, living in in and with the power of the Holy Spirit and the seal of the Holy Spirit. Now, from here on out, now that we have this in our backdrop, this, this, this base plate of, uh, uh, first Corinthians all the way up to Philemon. Now that we have this as our base plate from here on out, these studies that we have in the word, it's going to be remnant studies. Now, if you're listening for the first time, you're like, what in the world is he talking about? When you go back and you listen to 1 Corinthians and get caught up to Philemon and finish Philemon and get caught up to where we are in Hebrews, you'll understand exactly what we mean when we say remnant. But if you've been walking with us for a while, you know what we mean. You know what the remnant is. You know about the threats that surround saints and the fellowship. You know all about it. Now, when we have these studies from here on out, these remnant studies. See, understand that leaven unaddressed, when it's left to fester, it rots the bunch. And with the deeper understanding, you know, these deeper understandings of the word, it becomes more difficult for believers who sincerely desire to live godly. And that's the danger of leaven inside the camp. You know, a little leaven leavens the bunch. But for remnant believers, that's how we're going to conduct these studies from here on out. Studies for the remnant. Now, since we're done with the pastoral epistles, we can somewhat simmer down a little bit because, I mean, if you're listening for the first time and then you go and you listen to the pastoral epistle studies, you're going to you're going to see open up your bible and follow along and you know you're going to see that whoa this is pretty hardcore this is pretty hardcore and yes it's hardcore but it's hardcore for a reason and at the same time you know we're you know understanding that those are the pastoral epistles and Paul's not like the average bear and all of a sudden we're going to get into Hebrews and we're going to simmer down a little bit 
Now, the book of Hebrews is written around 68 AD. Now, 68 AD, it's very, very, very dangerous to be a Christian in 68 AD. Very dangerous. Because there's the, under the thumb of the religious leaders, under the thumb of uh, the Jews, and then under the thumb of the Romans. Very, very dangerous to be a Christian. Life-threatening to be a Christian. And, you know, when you listen to our past studies in the early church, you know exactly what that entails. I shouldn't say exactly what it entails, but you have a pretty vivid picture of what that entails. It's the cost of being a Christian. Life-threatening. That's why Jesus says, you know, count the cost. Count the cost. Now, there's debate on who wrote the book of Hebrews. There's a lot of debate. And, you know, I don't really enter in these debates of, you know, who wrote who, who wrote Hebrews. You know, I, I don't really, you know, get me personally. I think it's Paul. Uh, it could be Apollos, uh, quite possibly a student of Paul. Uh, I mean, when, when when we're in our glorified bodies at the marriage supper, you know, it, I'm going to find out. I'm, I want to find out who, let's settle this, you know, who wrote Hebrews, you know, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's Paul. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Apollo says, yeah, it was me. Now, if Peter says, you know, hey, it was me, then I would be surprised, (laughs) you know, no offense to Peter, but remember Peter, when we study our, uh, the book of Galatians, remember our study, how, you know, uh, uh, Paul had to rebuke Peter publicly because Peter wanted to do the things of the law. And then even in Peter's letters, Peter says, you know, listen to Paul because he knows his stuff. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the gist of what he says. Listen to Paul because he knows his stuff. And in the book of Hebrews, we get pretty deep into um, studies of um, the law, studies of Torah. Now, a lot of times Christians and pastors and teachers and seminaries and uh, theology schools They say that the book of Hebrews is for Jewish believers. Now, there is an aspect to understand, you know, the, the, uh, uh, when, when we look at passages from Torah and the Old Testament, but I don't engage in that thought process, me personally. And I also don't teach in that thought process. The reason why is because that's baby talk. It's baby talk. Oh, it's for, it's for the Jewish believers and the Jewish believers only. That's baby talk. Because in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, we know that in Christ, there is no Jew nor Gentile. That's in Christ. You see? Now, if you're a new believer, you know, you, you just became a believer today or last week or last month. You know, you might not have these deeper understandings, but that's what's so beautiful about, you know, uh, uh, we have certain studies available about, you know, growing in Christ. That's First Corinthians. And then you get into the pastoral epistles from uh, Timothy to Philemon. Listen to those studies. It will help you grow and mature in Christ and understand in a deeper way formula for righteousness. And it's so powerful. You know, we're in Hebrews 1. But what's so beautiful is that we also have our studies through Torah, which we just recently finished, you know, from Genesis to to, uh, Deuteronomy, the five books of Moses. 
And so what's so powerful, and not just that, but in also our study through Galatians. So now these deeper truths will be understood. And I say specifically will be understood because remember from here on out, we speak and we teach the remnant, remnant believers awaiting the arrival of our Lord, our King, Jesus Christ. And so we start our study here in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. Now, this is such a powerful verse because, you know, you see at various times and in various ways spoke in times past, in time past to the fathers by the prophets. You see, and so this is one of the reasons, and we're going to point this out in our study through Hebrews, but this is one of the reasons why people say, oh, look, this is for the Jewish believers. It's for the Jewish believers. It's not for the Gentiles. Well, that's baby talk because in Christ, there is no Jew nor Gentile. We are all one in Christ. There's no male, female, slave, free, rich, poor, Jew, Gentile, because we're all one in Christ. And we see that God at various times and in various ways, I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, I mean, you, when we look at timelines and time frames, and you know, look how the Lord spoke to Balaam, look how the Lord spoke to Moses, look how the Lord spoke to Joshua, and I'm not painting Balaam in the same in the same category as Moses or or, or Joshua, but don't forget the Lord did speak to Balaam. The problem with Balaam is he's an Old Testament example of somebody who didn't finish his race. And Paul says, you know, I don't count myself as have achieved, but I press forward. He's an Old Testament example of, you know, as we look at uh, 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 Luke chapter 8, verse 13, that there are, you know, those, those who believe, but then in time of temptation fall away. And that's Balaam. He's an Old Testament example of exactly that. And you can listen to our Old Testament studies about Balaam. Very powerful when you see Balaam and how the Lord spoke to him and in the course of time, how he fell away. And then he was judged. He was killed. And then we see Balak as a type of Satan. The seducing aspect of Balak. You see? And so we've seen, just in our studies in the Old Testament, at various times and in various ways, spoke in times past to the fathers. He spoke to the fathers by the prophets. Very interesting because, you know, in the law, in the Torah, remember in the law, we, we see that the Lord speaks to the high priest. And, you know, it, when when Moses received the blueprints in the mountain. Now, you're listening for the first time and you're like, what, 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 I don't understand what he's talking about. But what's so powerful is that we have these archived, our study through, in they're archived. Go back and listen to our studies through Exodus and you'll understand, you'll see Moses on the mountain. And then you'll know exactly what we're talking about. But remember, you know, when the Lord was giving Moses the blueprints and, you know, in the, in the holy place, you know, they're on the mountain, but he's getting the blueprints for, you know, the, the holy of holies. Where the high priest would go in in the mercy seat and the Lord would speak to the high priest and then the high priest would come out and speak to the congregation of Israel. And that's written in Torah where the Lord would speak to the high priest and the high priest would be the ones to say, you know, thus saith the Lord. 
But then you get further into the Old Testament. And what happens? Just like with Eli. How come there's silence? Why is there no widespread revelation? Why is it that the Lord doesn't speak to Eli because he's the high priest? Why is it that the Lord isn't speaking? Did the Lord change his mind? No. What happens is that the people change their heart. Eli was on the wrong frequency. I mean, it's like a radio station. You know, nowadays, you know, people are so spoiled now because, you know, they don't have radio stations anymore. But back in the day, old school, you know, you'd have a little dial and you'd have to turn it. You'd have to get to, you know, say like, you know, 95.5. I don't know what station that is. I'm just picking an arbitrary number. But, you know, you have to turn the dial and the little red needle goes to, you know, 95.5. And then, boom, you're on the right frequency and you can hear the music. So it's classical music, 95.5 classical music. And when then you turn the dial and the needle goes to 95.5, boom, you can hear the classical music. But then you turn it and you're like, you know, 92 or, you know, 103 or 105. Well, you're not hearing classical music because you're on the wrong frequency. You're on the, the wrong dial. Now, 95 is where the classical music... Now, if you're on 103, does that mean that the classical music isn't playing? No. The classical music is playing on the radio. The problem is, is that you're on the wrong frequency. You're on the, on the right channel. And that's the same with the Lord. The Lord speaks. The Lord speaks. But who is it that is on the right frequency? I'll put it another way. Who is it that has ears to hear? You see? You say like, well, Eli, he has the position. Eli is the high priest. And the, the, the Bible says that the, the Lord says himself that he will speak to the high priest. Did the Lord change his mind when he wasn't speaking to Eli? Nope. The Lord didn't change his mind. Eli was the one who was on the wrong frequency. The whole time the Lord has been on, you know, 95. The whole time the Lord is on 95. You see? Eli got to like 107. Way on the wrong end. He couldn't, he couldn't hear, he didn't have ears to hear. You see? And that's what happens with disobedience. That's what happens with seduction. That's what happens with the flesh. We get off track on the wrong frequency. And when you're at 95, you can hear classical music. But when you're like 95.2, you can still hear classical music, but it's not clear. It's not crystal clear. You're on 95.3.4. You might be able to, to still hear like a tune, but it's not crystal clear. You see, then you get into like the fine tuning. And this is the same with our Lord. And what's so powerful is when the Lord speaks to the prophets. When the Lord speaks to the prophets. Because oftentimes, more often than not, when the Lord was speaking to the prophets, the Lord was not speaking to the priests. You see? Because the priests, the priests, they were in the 107s. They weren't on 95. They were in 107. Who was on 95? The prophets. And not just the prophets. But Hannah, she was on 95. You see? 
It's so powerful because it's it's so simple. It's so simple. It's not, you know, that we bend the word. It's not like, you know, hey, I'm at 107 and I want to hear the Lord. So, you know, I want to bend the Lord to my way. No, that can't happen. You say, oh, I'm on 107 and, you know, uh, 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 the Lord is, you know, telling me good things. I'm on 107 and the Lord is telling me good things. It's like, well, wait a second. The Lord is at 95. What is the Lord telling you? Well, the Lord is telling me, you know, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. The Lord is telling me, go, go, go grave soaking. The Lord is telling me, replace me theology that God has done with Israel. Uh, that's idolatry because that's not the God of the Bible. You can call him God. You can call him Jesus. But that's idolatry. Because the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Lord, the word became flesh. He's not at 107. He's at 95. You see? And it's you and me that need to yield to him. Not the other way around. It's you and me that yields to him. So, you know, when you when we study the Old Testament and when you read the Old Testament, you're going to see that, yes, you know, like especially with Samuel, you know, that there was no widespread revelation in those days. The Lord was silent in those days. You see? But what's so beautiful is that little Samuel, little boy Samuel, he had ears to hear. He was on the right frequency. And the Lord knew his heart. And the Lord honored the prayers, not of Samuel. I mean, you know, of Samuel, I'm sure he prayed, but I mean, he honored the prayers of Mama. You see, Hannah. It's it's beautiful. You know, sometimes I talk to people and they're, you know, I don't like reading the Old Testament, too much judgment, too much wrath. So I like the New Testament. Well, we're kind of spoiled. Because in this age of grace, you know, you read the New Testament, and yes, we are in the age of grace. But judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. That's as sure as surely as the Lord lives, it is coming. I mean, you know, it, in that regard, it's kind of, I mean, if someone's going to take that approach and have that argument, it's better to be in the Old Testament because the judgment has already happened. But to say, oh, I like the New Testament only because there's no judgment. Well, you know, to me, my perspective, that's scarier because we're in it. And the church age is coming to a close. And notice here that, you know, yes, at various times and in various ways in verse 1, how God spoke in time past to the fathers, but it's by the prophets. You see? And remember, in Christ, there's no Jew-Gentile. Now, am I advocating the law in saying this? Because, you know, if God spoke to the prophets and the prophets only, am I advocating the law in saying, okay, well, you know, let's abide in, you know, everything pre-Matthew, everything before Matthew, let's abide in that. No way. I'm not, that's not my argument. Remember, it's the root that supports the branch. Remember our study in Romans 11? But, Notice when and how God speaks. It's, yes, various, as he says, various times and in various ways. But there is a commonality with the prophets, be it Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, uh, Ezekiel, 
Amos formula. Holy formula. Now remember that, you know, it, God in verse 1 at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets and speaking about God who was speaking in verse 2 has in these last days. I love this so much because this is written 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years, but 68 AD to be, you know, about 68 AD to be more precise. But in verse 2, has in these last days, and I'm so in love with this wording, because the early church, they lived in a state of readiness. A state of readiness. And in these last days, spoken to us. Now, God is not done speaking. Understand, God is not done speaking. But how does God speak? And it is written in verse 2, in these last days spoken to us by his son. You see, we, you and me together, we must understand the covenants and the rules of engagement within the covenants. And, you know, and and to, to understand the rules of engagement within the covenants. Now, if you're listening for the first time or you're a new believer, new listener, And you hear us say that to understand the rules of engagement within the covenants. You know, when there's my urging unto you for you to listen to those prior studies in 1 Corinthians all the way up to Philemon. It's very important because you'll understand. You'll know all about rules of engagement. You'll know all about the covenants. You'll know all about it. And so when we, you know, provide these urgings for you to listen to those prior studies, it's for that reason. Because remember, these are remnants that from here on out, these are studies specifically for the remnant. Now, when we understand these rules of engagement within the covenants, you know, am I advocating the law in saying that? Am I, you know... Am I saying, okay, let's, let's abide in, you know, everything written before the book of Matthew? No way. And that's a problem with the Hebrew roots movement because abiding in the law is to exit Jesus Christ. Remember our study through Galatians? And sometimes I have these conversations with the Hebrew roots people. It's like, well, you know, the Bible says, God says that, you know, that obey my commandments and what are the commandments of the Lord? Well, we go back to the Ten Commandments, but don't forget the Ten Commandments were given three times. The first time verbally, the second time two tablets, were, which were destroyed, and then the third time, the second set of two tablets, which are not without blood. Not without blood. To abide in the law is to exit Christ. And you hear me say that. You know, if you're Hebrew roots, you might be like, oh, how dare he? Listen to our study through Galatians. All of the introduction to Galatians. Listen to all of it. And you might as well listen to our study through the law too, through through, uh, Exodus, uh, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, because you'll understand more. Because, you know, we give this example, you know, if you're abiding in Christ, you take the body of Christ, you you know, does does the spleen of Jesus observe the Sabbath? Do the lungs of Jesus observe the feasts? Does the liver of Jesus make offering? Now, 
I'm not trying to be facetious in saying these things, but understand these are elements that are inside the body of Christ, the spleen, the lungs, the liver, they are inside. They do not partake of those things. The spleen does not observe the Sabbath. Lungs do not uh, celebrate the feast. Liver does not make offerings unto the Lord. You see? And to abide in the law is to exit Jesus Christ. If righteousness comes through the law, then Jesus died in vain. Remember our study in Galatians? Christians, you and me together, we need to be on the inside, abiding inside of Christ. You see? But to abide in the law a person is outside of Christ. And, you know, through disobedience, a person is also out of Christ. Which begs the question, okay, what do I do? What do you and me do? You know, we enter the door. Capital D. We enter the gate. Capital G. We enter Christ. And once we're there, what do we do? We stay there. And staying there is to abide in Christ. No period. Remember when Jesus says abide in me, no period. He says abide in me and I in you. Intimacy. I remember hearing this news story about a lady. She killed her kids in the bathtub. Her, her children were bathing in the bathtub and she killed her kids. I don't mean to get graphic, but I'm just, you know, I reflect on, you know, a news story I heard not too long ago. And a lady who killed her kids in the bathtub and she says, oh, God told me to do it. God told me to do it, you know, because he, he, you know, he told Abraham and he stopped Abraham and he told me to do the exact same thing. That was her argument. And, you know, it's so sad because, you know, yes, this is, you know, extreme. And I, I don't mean to be graphic and saying, you know, the lady killed her kids in the bathtub. But that was her argument that God told her to do it. But if she understood the holy formula. She would have known that what she thought was God was not God. She would have known that it was Satan. Satan is the one who seduced her using the Bible and her piety. Because remember in verse 2, in these last days spoken to us by his son. Yes, you know, the, the, the Lord did say to, to, to Abraham. And then, you know, Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac, but the Lord stopped him. You see? And so she thinks, oh, the Lord told me to do that too. And, and, you know, that wasn't the Lord. That was not the Lord. Because the Lord speaks now. Remember, until the seed, remember the seed? That, you know, the, uh, 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 our study in Galatians, now that the seed has arrived and it, it's, it's a new covenant. This is the covenant in my blood. Remember the words of our Lord? This is the new covenant in my blood. And the Lord speaks to us today, but in these last days spoken to us by his son. And that's where we as Christians, new covenant believers, we have to be very careful. 
understand. I mean, it's easy. I don't want to say like, you know, be very careful, like, you know, walk on eggshells because it's very simple. When you understand the framework of covenants, just like, you know, we give the example of warfare to be a warrior in the Bible, warriors in the Bible, very beautiful because you take Caleb. I mean, Caleb straight up took names. You know, he was like, you know, whether he was young, whether he was old, he was like, you know, show me who are the Canaanites. You guys are afraid of the Canaanites. That's nice. Where are they? Where are they? I mean, he was hardcore and I love it. But you take Caleb and you take Stephen. It's like, well, wait a second. You know, Stephen didn't fight according to the flesh. How could the two be similar? You see, you take a a warrior like Caleb, you know, people look at the Old Testament like, wow, Caleb is so awesome. You know, he's so hardcore. He was ready for a fight and all these things. And wow, this is so cool because, you know, he's young, he's old and he's ready for a fight. Okay, I I get that there. I love that. that. That's like, wow, that's, you know, that's beautiful because he's a warrior. But then people look at Phoebe and Chloe and... Uh, 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 Stephen and Paul and they're like that's a warrior he's not fighting carnally you're right they're not fighting but according to the spirit valiant warriors the likes of Caleb the likes of Joshua you see valiant valiant warriors And these are things that you understand when you understand the framework of the two covenants, but you understand the framework of the two covenants. So the lady with the bathtub and the kids, she killed her kids. She's, oh, the Lord told me to do it. Just like he told Abraham. Well, hold on. The Lord speaks, but it's by his son. You see? Now, Satan speaks. Satan presents himself as an angel of light. You see? Remember our spiritual warfare uh, uh, topics when we were studying, you know, First and Second Corinthians? And not just there, but in other places too, in Ephesians. You see? And with this lady with the bathtub and the kids, she killed her kids. And she says, oh, it was the Lord told me, God told me. No, God didn't tell her. You see? That was Satan. But if she understood the formula, if she had a, if she had a pastor who, you know, yes, she had a pastor, but if she had a pastor who was the full package, remember, not package zero, not package one, not package two, not package three, package four, the full package. If she had a pastor like that, who would teach her and pour into her and help her to understand the framework of the covenants, then yeah, she could be bathing her kids in the bathtub. And, you know, maybe Satan seduced her and says, hey, kill your kids. She can say, you know, get behind me, Satan. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You see? But that didn't happen. She wasn't equipped. And so, you know, when you listen to our study through the pastoral epistles, you're like, whoa, this is hardcore. And yes, absolutely, 100% is hardcore. So we can understand 
And you say, oh, it's hardcore, it's hardcore, it's too, it's too, too, uh, uh, too direct and, you know, too bold and, you know, it's too, you know, you, you, you speak like, you know, this guy is, he's a nice guy, he's an elder and he's, uh, he's in ministry, he's a ministry leader. And then you talk about his wife who's a crackhead and you talk about his daughters who's, you know, on doing the chakras and the son who's sexually active and, you know, now the elder's disqualified on their account. That's so mean, that's so mean, but no, that's part of the framework of holiness. You see, you look at the family, you look at the kids, because if an overseer cannot oversee his own home, he is disqualified to do that for the church. You see? Now, if the lady with the bathtub and the kids, if she had a full package pastor, she would know. She would know she could read the Old Testament and everything would be beautiful. She would have a deeper understanding of the nature and character of the Lord. But she wouldn't have that seduction aspect of, you know, Satan saying, hey, you know what? Uh, uh, God says, you know, Abraham, you know, uh, 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 you know, that, that God will provide for himself a sacrifice. But, you know, before I tell you that, then, you know, we're going to do Isaac. And then the Lord stopped Isaac. And the lady's not going to be seduced like, okay, the Lord's going to do that with me too. So here I'm going to kill my kid and, you know, the knife is an inch away from the kids, you know, whatever. And boom. She could say, well, the Lord didn't stop me. The Lord never told her. You see, it was Satan. It was Satan. And Satan seduced her using the Bible. You see, he's a cheap fighter. He doesn't fight fair. He's a murderer from the beginning. So now look, you have, you know, dead kids. The lady's in prison. Now you take the husband. You know, what if the husband is at work when all this was happening? He comes home. It's like, you know, the wife's going to prison. You know, no kids. Now you take the husband today. And I don't know. What if he's married again? What if he has a new family? I don't know. But if that were the case, then, you know, now adultery because, you know, she's in prison. She's not dead. Look at the mess. Look at the mess that ensues from one act when she wasn't equipped to understand the framework within the covenants and the rules of engagement. Look at the huge, and that's just one family. You see? And then you take non-believers and they see a story like that. They see the news. I mean, that was that was me reading the newspaper and I knew, okay, you know what? I was mad at the pastor. I mean, I was mad at the act and mad at the deed, but she wasn't equipped. You know, who in the world was her pastor? Where did she go to church? You know, why was it that she was unequipped to understand what was happening in this spiritual warfare? Because that's a terrible pastor who has no business standing at the pulpit. Terrible, terrible pastor. He has no business whatsoever standing at the pulpit. You see? But, you know, that's me reading the, the newspaper, which is old school. This is kind of an old news story. You see? and But a non-believer, a non-believer reading the newspaper? You know the headline, you know, Christian kills her kids. Christian sacrifices kids, tells, tells, says God told her to do it. A non-believer reads that and is like, what in the world? I want nothing to do with Christianity. Christians are crazy. 
a non-believer reading that article. I want nothing to do with Christianity. But if you're a non-believer and you see stuff like that, you see like, you know, TBN tricking believers nightly and you see news articles, you know, the uh, pastor molested the kids and, you know, uh, pastor, you know, the, the Hillsong doing their, you know, uh, uh, their sex and, you know, all their different things and, you know, uh, protecting pedophiles from, you know, uh, Max Church. Well, that's not biblical Christianity. And sometimes I talk to non-believers and that's the argument that you know, I want nothing to do with Christianity because I turn on the TBN and, you know, they don't know it's tricking believers nightly, but I turn on the TV, I watch Christian TV and, you know, you guys are crazy. It's like, hold on, hold on, hold the phone there, my friend. Don't say you guys. That's them. And, you know, they're in a bad situation because, you know, they say they're following Christ, but they're not. But that's beside the point because I'm talking to you. You see, remember Peter when, you know, when Peter was speaking to the Lord, and Lord, what about this guy? Jesus says, hey, don't worry about it. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he says. Don't worry about it. That's between him and me. I'm talking to you, Peter. Very personal. So if you're a non-believer and you're listening and you're like, well, you know, there's these Christians over here. They're crazy. There's these other Christians over here. They're crazy. I read this news article. The lady says God told her to kill her kids and that she's crazy. I turn on tricking believers nightly and, you know, they're crazy. Don't forget, prophetically speaking, the church in the last days will be straight up crazy. Crazy town. In the last days. And just like the Lord says to Peter, Peter, that's between that's between him and me. I'm talking to you, Peter. It's the same with you. What is it? What is it that you have done with Jesus Christ? I wonder if that question will be posed to you when you're standing before the Lord. What have you done with my son? You see? And people say, they get mad at me. Oh, don't use fear tactics. Don't tell people about hell. Don't tell people about judgment. Tell them about God's love. Yes, God's love is 100%. I'm all for God's love. I love, I mean, I'm basking it. But I mean, you know, the thought of hell, weeping, gnashing of teeth, hellfire, damnation, that worked wonders for me because I don't want to go there. You see? And then to fall deeper and deeper in love with the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. And at the same time to understand that, yes, the Lord speaks. Yes, the Lord spoke to Isaiah. Yes, the Lord spoke to Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos. And the Lord spoke. Yes, absolutely, 100%. But today, in these last days, he speaks to us by his son. Remember, the seed has come. In the days of Isaiah, the, 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 the seed didn't did it make its way to Mary. You see, pre-seed. Not pre-seed, but I meant pre like before, and then seed, S-E-E-D, capital S. Isaiah precede. 
You see, Amos precede, Ezekiel precede. The Lord was still speaking, speaking through the prophets. But in these last days, no longer precede, post-seed. And he speaks by his son, Jesus Christ. New covenant in his blood. And when we understand this framework, yes, the Lord speaks throughout the ages. He spoke to Abraham and he speaks today. But in both cases, who was on the right frequency? Today, who's on the right frequency? And to be on the right frequency, who understands the framework and formula? The rules of engagement. Because, you know, the lady who was killed her kids in the bathtub, you know, she's bathing the kids. She said, oh, the Lord told me to kill my kids. And it was like, like you know, he said he was going to stop me from doing it, just like he did with Abraham. And she thinks she's being obedient. Well, okay, this is a test of faith. And so here I'm going to pick up the knife and go to town. But she was not equipped. She was not equipped to know that's not the Lord. That's Satan. And Satan used the Bible. You see? And not just the Bible. He capitalized on her piety. Her desire to be obedient to the Lord. And that's what he used. You see? You see how crafty he is? And so the Lord, in verse 2, in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he, God the Father, has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, aeon in the Greek. This is the, the beginning of the world and through the ages. You know, and, and this is what we see in Genesis 1. In the beginning, Elohim, the triune nature of God. In the beginning, Elohim. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word. John 1, verse 14. The word became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's a verb. And in that verb, how it translates, it's to tabernacle with us. It just so happens, it just so happens, it just so happens that we studied this on Wednesday. To tabernacle. Very personal. The Lord desires to have a relationship with you. Love relationship. Deep relationship. But you and me, we have to get on the right frequency and be on the right frequency and stay on the right frequency. You see? Now, if you're not a believer, you know, I, I, I posed it before. If you're not a believer and, you know, I said what I said. But if you're not a believer, don't be unbelieving anymore. Believe in Jesus Christ because God loves you. He desires to have that oneness with you. You see? That only comes through Jesus Christ. It only comes through Jesus Christ. And you hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ, and you commit your life to Christ, and then you come back, you listen, and we continue on in our journey to paradise. And so look what happens here. Speaking of Jesus in verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, express image is 
Karaktar in the Greek. Karaktar, where we get the word character. Which is why in our studies in the Old Testament, you know, it's like, well, we, we learn deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper about the nature and character of the Lord. You see? Being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things, upholding all things by the word by the word. Now, this word here, it's not word for, it's not logos, which more often than not, when you see the word word in the New Testament, it's logos. But here, this isn't logos. This is rhema. Rhema, which is utterance and narration. Remember, verse 3 says that Jesus upholds all things by rhema, by Utterance, which aligns with Colossians 1, verse 17, something we studied in our studies about growing and maturing in Christ. Colossians 1, verse 17, that in Jesus, all things hold together. Sometimes I talk to non-believers, even believers, and they pose the question, why is the world falling apart? Why are Christians so crazy? And I'll give you the answer. Why is it that the world is going into crazy town? Why is it that people are becoming crazy? And why is it that even Christians are crazy themselves? I'll give you the answer. Because Jesus is rejected. Both Rhema and Logos. And when you have that, you enter crazy town. The church and the world are identical. I mean, have you ever been with like, you know, you've been in the world. I mean, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. But have you ever been like with a, <clears throat> like a, a, a gathering, say like a, uh, a get together, like a, um, like a, like a, a potluck at work or something? Non-believers. And, you know, there's that, you know, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. You know, when Paul says that, you know, he says, you know, I, I, I said not to, uh, uh, he says, I, I didn't move. He says uh, not to be with a sexually immoral person. He says, I didn't mean like out of the world because, you know, you, you'd have to get in a rocket ship and fly to the moon and, you know, be, live on the moon if that were the case. Now I'm paraphrasing, but that's the gist of what he says. If you listen to our study through First Corinthians, you'll understand more about that. But he says, I'm talking about anybody named a brother inside the camp, inside the church. So say, for example, you're with non-believers and, you know, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And there's, you know, conduct, our conduct as Christians that we can't partake of. You're probably not going to be well-liked. People say, hey, let's drink this, let's drink that, let's do this, let's do that. You're like, you know, no, I'm, I'm not down with that. And then you go to church on Sunday. You have a, you know, a church potluck, a church picnic. And it's almost the exact same thing. Sometimes it's even worse. The guys are doing their locker room talk. The gals are doing their locker room talk. There's this and that. And you're like, what in the world? I mean, you expect it among the non-believers, but with the believers, it's, 
you expect that not to be existent. But what do we see? There's no difference. The world and Corinth is exactly the same. The world and the church is exactly the same. And that's something that's happening. It's more prevalent in these last days. You look at the world, you look at the church, and there's no difference. They're identical. You know why that's happening? Because Jesus is rejected both Rima and Logos. But remember from here on out, I speak to the remnant. You see, don't forget that as we see crazy town getting even more crazy, don't forget that there's coming a time. And I can't even say there's coming a time because I wonder. I wonder. Lord, is your Holy Spirit already beginning to lift? Is your Holy Spirit already beginning to lift? Because remember, the world, the, the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit goes into the world to convict the sin of convict the world of righteousness, of judgment, and of sin. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So somebody has a thought in their head, you know what? I'm gonna punch this guy in the face. But then the Holy Spirit says, you know, hey, don't do that. To convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Okay, I'm not gonna do that. And I'm speaking about non-believers. A guy says, you know what? I'm going to rape that lady. A guy says, you know what? I'm going to murder that guy. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit, no, I'm, you know, I'm not going to do that. The conviction of the Holy Spirit. No, I might go to prison. I might go to jail. She might have a gun. She's going to shoot me. Okay, I'm not going to do that. That's the ministry of the, goes into the world to convict this, the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Brakes. People are, you know, they, they would have the brakes. Well, you know, I'm going to go punch that guy in the face. Okay, I hit the brakes. I'm not going to do that. Or I'm going to rape that lady. Or I'm going to hit the brakes. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to murder this guy. You know, uh, I'm going to run this guy over. I'm going to hit the brakes. I'm not going to do that. But now, today, somebody says, you know what? I'm going to punch that lady. What do they do? They punch that lady. You see? You look at the rise of crime, and people are saying politics. Oh, you know, politicians, politicians, politicians. You see? You look at the world today. People have a thought in their head. Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Where before, you know, they would, you know, they would hit the brakes in their conscience. Oh, okay, I'm not going to do that. Where today, it's just happening. No more brakes. Some people still have the brakes, but some people don't have brakes at all. Oh, I'm gonna go steal this. And what do they do? I, you know, I wanna steal this, so they steal it. Where are the brakes? And that's why I wonder, like, Lord, is your spirit, is it already beginning to lift? And those who have had a seared conscience are they the ones who it's being exposed first? You see? And how does a conscience become seared to where those convictions of the Spirit are no longer penetrating heart? Don't blame the Lord. What is it that sears a conscience of a person? You see? 
I mean, you hear us say, you know, like, you know, we're a last day's church, a last day's church. This isn't just something to say, oh, yeah, we're a last day's church. You know, they just pull it out of my hat and say it. Because the Lord is the one who gives us signs of the times. And in the last days and all these indicators where before it was like, okay, there's this. Maybe it's this a little bit of here, a little bit of that. But now it's like, boom, check mark here, check mark there, check mark there, check mark. It's like, oh my goodness. As you see things getting crazier and crazier and crazier and crazier, both inside the church and outside the church, understand that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, both Rhema and Logos is being rejected. And then you see crazy town. On top of that, when there's no love of truth, strong delusion ensues. On top of that is the Holy Spirit lifting already. You see? And we're just getting started. It's going to get much worse. Worse and worse and worse and worse. But I speak to the remnant. The Lord didn't call me to teach the dead. I teach the living. And so we see that the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that upholding all things in verse 3, by the word of his power, dunamis or force is how it translates. Remember Caleb, Caleb and Joshua in our studies in the Old Testament? A type of Christ and a type of Holy Spirit. Caleb meaning force. You see? First generation dies in the wilderness. Second generation enters the promised land. And the only two of that first generation, Caleb and Joshua. Now, it was the Pharisees. When Jesus in his earthly ministry, the Pharisees should have known these things. It was the Pharisees. They should have been the ones to say, you know, I could understand, you know, asking questions of Jesus and not like, you know, like a, a interrogation, you know, put a lamp in his face and, you know, I, I don't mean anything like that. And not to trap him as the Pharisees did, but to ask questions regarding qualifiers for the Messiah and of the Messiah qualifiers. I can understand completely asking questions. Anyway, if, if, if say you and me were Pharisees, you and me are Pharisees and Jesus, people are following Jesus and other Pharisees, they're getting mad because, you know, followers are no longer following us. They're following Jesus. Now from a, in an overseer capacity, I could understand the, the caution of the Pharisee and, and don't get me wrong, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to say that, you know, paint the, the, the pharisaical heart in a good light, but I can understand that, uh, that caution and just the, you know, like, is this guy really who he says he is? And no disrespect to the Lord to say, you know, this guy, but remember, you know, in this example, we're Pharisees. Say that you and me were Pharisees. And, you know, there's other Pharisees, they have their own motives, but, you know, we're different. You and me were different. So we're Pharisees. 
And we take our role very serious. We want people to be clean before the Lord. And we also know the Old Testament, a very deep understanding of the Old Testament. And we know that Messiah is coming. And people are calling Jesus the Messiah. Now, I could understand that caution that you and me would have. But in desiring to be obedient to the Lord, I fully understand asking questions of Jesus. But not asking questions like to attack him or to attrap him or, you know, to, uh, to, to make fun of him or make, you know, jest, you know, so that, you know, to pull people to us. But to make quali- ask questions, qualifying questions so that you and me can know, is this guy really the Messiah? No disrespect to the Lord by saying this guy, but remember, you know, is he really who he says he is? Deep questions about Torah. Deep, deep, deep questions. And then he explains. He answers question one, question two. He answers questions three, four, five. He answers questions six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And all of a sudden he's teaching us like, oh, you know, I forgot about that or I didn't even know that. And you're right. This correlates with this. And you're right. All of a sudden we're getting schooled. And then we realize, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. My Lord and my King. And the Pharisees should have been the ones to say, the Messiah has arrived. But they didn't. They were the ones who shouted, we have no king but Caesar. You see? The Pharisees should have known. You see? And what's so beautiful is... You know, the Pharisees, when you see, read the Gospels in chronological order. You know, when Jesus says that the Pharisees are, you know, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you whitewashed him. That's at the end of the Gospels. In the very beginning of the Gospels, you know, hey, Pharisees, you got questions? I'll answer your questions. I don't have a problem. You know, I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you. Everybody, you know, I got no There's no beef. But then in the course of time, the heart of the Pharisees became harder and harder and harder and harder. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You see? Some Pharisees became believers. I mean, in the early church, they were Pharisees. A problem with them is that they didn't let go of their former ways, their former pharisaical ways. They wanted to introduce things into the church. And they did introduce things into the church. Well, you know, if you if you want to be a Christian, you have to be all the men, they gotta be circumcised, and we have to follow Moses. You know who had beef about that? Strong beef about that? Remember our study in the book of Acts? Who is it that stood? The, the Jerusalem Council. Who is it that stood up? Paul, Barnabas, Peter, James. Look at these beautiful men who stood up. Like, that's not that's not a small thing. That's a big deal. And so they had they the Jerusalem Council, they have their, their letter that they wrote and they sent it to the churches. Hey, cut this out. You see? The Pharisees should have known. 
And so we see here in verse 3 that, you know, uh, that uh, <clears throat> upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself, by himself. Remember how we would reference John chapter 6? And when you look at John chapter 6, my exhortation to count the, 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 the population. In John chapter 6, you see thousands and thousands and thousands of people. I mean, some translations just say, you know, you know, thousands of men, like 5,000 men. But other translations, you know, uh, uh, 5,000, you know, men with their uh, 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 women and children. So I mean, five, we'll say 5,000 plus. I mean, you take, you know, what if there was a guy with like five kids? What if there was a guy with eight kids? So we'll say 5,000 plus. In John 6, you say you take 5,000 plus at the very beginning. And people are following him. And you figure, wow, look, all the multitudes are following Jesus Christ. That's so beautiful. And yes, it's beautiful. And yes, he fed the multitudes. And in that very same chapter, you start to see people walk away from Jesus. Because yes, the multitudes are following. Oh, this is so beautiful. Multitudes, multitudes. Praise be to the Lord. And yes, it's beautiful. But then Jesus turns around and says, you guys are following me not because of what I teach you and what I say to you. You're following me because your bellies are nice and full. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the gist of what he says. You're following me because your bellies are nice and full. And they were offended. So they said, okay, we're done with you. And then he would teach more. And it got to the point where even the disciples and Jesus asked of them point blank, does this offend you? And of the disciples, there were some, a majority that followed him no more. And then it boiled down to 12. So how is it in John 6? There's a beautiful, in the beginning, multitudes, multitudes, 5,000 plus. And at the end of one chapter, 12. And don't forget the 12 in the course of time. Judas betrayal. 12 became 11. And then they scattered Peter who followed at a distance. And they all left Jesus Christ. In the course of time. Thousands and thousands. 5,000 plus. Became hundreds. Became 12. Became 11. Became zero. And he died on the cross. Jesus Christ. Our King. Our Lord. And fulfilling prophecy. Led to the slaughter. In fulfillment of prophecy. As the Lord spoke to Isaiah. In verse 3, when he had by himself by himself purged our sins to purge is expiation expiation you ever see like dumb pastors nowadays they like to use these big words and pretend they're smart oh expiation they write these big words they big books they write big dissertations about expiation but let's boil it down what is expiation it's to wash off 
You see these, you know, dumb pastors, they like to pretend that they're smart and they're, oh, expiation. They use all these big words. It's like, that's what, you know, sometimes you sit in, a, in the pews and it feels like you're in a college course, you know. And like, what does he mean? What is he talking about? using all the big words. I never heard these big words before. What do we do? You know, take a shower. You see? We're not the water. We're not the soap. We're not the shampoo. But we still got to get in. And this purging or expiation is to wash off, to atone. Old Testament and New Testament. Remember, the purpose is for people to be right with God. People to be right with God. You see? Overseers. Old Testament overseers. You're dirty? Come on, let's get you cleaned up. Now, there's a process for that. New Testament, rules of engagement, new covenant, you're dirty? Okay, come on, let's get you cleaned up. You see? And that's what's so powerful. He had by himself purged our sins. In verse 3, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I love that so much. Majesty. Most high. There is none higher. You know, look at all the gods. Look at the gods of Egypt and the Baals and the Moloch, the Asterisks and all, all kinds of gods. And yes, they do have power. But the power that they have is nothing compared to the Almighty. And you listen to our studies, the Old Testament. And that's what happens when the Lord makes himself known. Yes, you know. The, the, the queen of heaven, she has her power with the Baals and the Moleks and Asterisks. They have their power. The gods of Egypt, they had their power. Remember the, the, the wise guys of Pharaoh? Remember the, 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 the advisors of, you know, uh, uh, of, of Pharaoh, Janice and Jambres? Oh, Pharaoh, look, they make the water blood. We can do that too. Look, we can do it too. They do this. Look, our gods can do it too. They do this. Look, our gods can do it too. Then the Almighty, the hail comes. All of a sudden, these wise guys, whoa, we can't touch this. We can do the blood. We can make the water red. But the hail, we can't touch this. There are limitations to those gods. They do have power. Now, what's happening, as with Egypt, and as with Ai, and as with, you know, all these regions, uh, the Canaanites and the Moabites, they had their gods. And those gods had power. And they worshipped those gods. But when the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Almighty, there is none higher... When he makes himself known, all of a sudden, people have a choice to make. Am I going to continue worshiping the gods of Egypt? Am I going to continue worshiping the Baals, the Asterisks, the Moleks, Mary, Queen of Heaven, the Krishnas, the Buddhas, 
the whatever this, the whatever that. Am I still going to do my chakras? Am I still going to do my crystals? Am I still going to do the Krishnas, the Hare Krishnas and all these things? Hindu Vedas, am I still going to do all these things? Or the Most High, will I worship Him? Especially upon the realization that those other gods, they're nothing. And those other gods, there's no eternal life with those other gods. You see? They want worship. They absolutely want worship. But when you die, hello like a fire. You see? God Almighty, you worship Him, and you die, paradise. You see? Paradise. And Jesus Christ, who He had by Himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In verse 4, speaking of Jesus, at the right hand of majesty. In verse 4, having become so much better than the angels. You see? Now, remember, he's born of a virgin. The word became flesh. And yes, the word became flesh. The seed made his way to Mary. And the word became flesh, but also so much better than the angels. The angels bowed to him in being so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance. You see, inheritance is a big deal. No small things. It just so happens we study this on Wednesday. No small thing. No small thing. And he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Don't forget that, yes, Jesus obtained a more excellent name than they, and he has by inheritance obtained this more excellent name than they. But don't forget that Satan attempted to circumvent this inheritance. Satan did. Remember, all these kingdoms, this world, it can be yours. All you got to do is worship me. That's what Satan said. All this can be yours. All you got to do is worship me. You see? And it, it, it all is the Lord's. And Jesus refused to worship Satan. You see? And don't forget, it was the angels who came down and ministered to Jesus. When Satan tempted Jesus, and then all of a sudden, you know, uh, 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 when Jesus says, or when, when Satan says, you know, stand at the temple and throw yourself down because it is written that the, that the angels will bring you down safely. And Jesus says, it is also written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. You see? And then Satan realized 
Remember the demons, you know, the sons of Siva, the demons, you know, Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who in the world are you? And when then Satan departed, the angels came down and they ministered to Jesus. Satan wants to circumvent your inheritance. Remember the crown? The crown that has your name on it. Remember our study just several weeks ago? The crown in heaven right now with your name on it. What it doesn't have is your head. Like your head in your glorified body, which is, you know, forward looking. But it doesn't rest on your head right now, but it has your name on it. As part of your inheritance. Promises unto the Lord. But there are certain things to effectuate those promises. Obedience. To get to that point. You see, to walk on this narrow path and get to paradise and enter paradise. Satan tries to circumvent that. Just like he did with Jesus. Look. All this can be yours. These were there. They're going to worship you. They're going to, it'll all be yours. You can have it. All you got to do is worship me. You see, he tries to circumvent. We have to understand this framework. I mean, Jesus is the framework. The word became flesh. Remember, Satan used the Bible just like the the lady in the bathtub with the kids, killing her kids. She wasn't equipped. She didn't understand the covenants and the framework. Yes, she did a dirty deed. And yes, she's paying the price. She's in prison. And yes, the husband, everything is just a mess. It's a huge mess. But I blame the pastor. I blame her. You know, her, you know, she made her choice. There's blame on her. But who in the world was teaching her? Who in the world was the one, oh, I'm the pastor. I got the pastor parking spot. But when you understand the formula, you realize, hey, he's disqualified. You see? Sometimes, oh, you know, I don't like how you say this. You have pastoral epistles and, you know, you... You, you you take these Calvinists and you take the Reformed and you just shave them off completely because they're disqualified? Well, yes, sound doctrine. You see? Oh, I don't like how you do that. Hey, I'm just the messenger. You see? Because what's happening now with Calvinists and Reform, you know, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. Are we supposed to be welcoming of that, which is a lie from the pit of hell? disqualified shave them off get out of here get out of the pulpit you see and when we understand this framework of righteousness and this framework for qualifiers of pastoral leadership you know hey this guy i can't submit myself to him you see this lady i can't submit myself to her you understand the qualifiers you understand the disqualifiers It's hardcore. But I don't teach the dead. I teach the living. 
And so we see here in verse 5, For to which of the angels did he ever say, God the Father, to which of the angels did he, God the Father, ever say, you are my son? Now, this is like common sense. You know, I, I love this so much because it's so simple. It's so easy, the simplicity that is in Christ. It's so simple. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. It's common sense. Remember the question in verse 5 at the beginning, to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, question mark. The answer, none. God never said, you know, Michael is my son. You know, Michael, I have begotten my son. You know, he, he never says to the angel, you are my son. There are prominent pastors today. Prominent. And I could name names. Prominent pastors today. I'm doing my air quotes, well-respected leaders in the church today that are teaching angelic sonship. They're twisting the scriptures. You know, you, you hear us speak about, you know, that, you know, that living in these, you know, perilous times and the church is entering crazy town and not just the church, the world is entering crazy town. And, you know, is the Holy Spirit lifting and all these things. But if I were to open up my heart a little bit more, I am the most fearful for saints in these last days. You know why? Because saints put up with it. Saints put up with it. They submit themselves to the preacher guy without understanding this preacher guy is disqualified. He doesn't meet the qualifications. Don't forget, Satan has his ministers too who present themselves as ministers of righteousness. They can dress the part. They can look the part. They can have the parking spot. They can go to theology school. They can go to seminary. They can have doctorate. They can have you know, bachelors. They can have masters. They can have whatever they want. What is it that they teach? What is their doctrine? Hebrew roots, disqualified. Calvinism, disqualified. Reform theory, disqualified. Money preachers, disqualified. So, well, you sound, you sound kind of elitist. That's not elitist. It's biblical. It is the way. And saints today are putting up with it. Oh, I don't want to be mean. I like this guy. He's, you know, America's pastor, America's pastor. He has a nice little study Bible. Oh, by the way, he says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. But you know what? He's such a nice guy. People put up with it. Just like Corinth. Putting up with the Pseudadelphos. False brethren. Ministers, they present themselves as ministers of righteousness, but they're servants of Satan. Remember Galatians? They go in and they spy to, uh, to, to, to put saints in bondage, to put saints in chains. Bondage. And in verse 5, For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? You see? Some prominent pastors say, not only are they teaching angelic sonship, but they're saying, Michael, the angel, they're saying Michael is Jesus. 
very prominent, well-known, well-respected. I'm doing my air quotes because I don't respect them. Oh, you're so mean. You're so mean. Oh, look, we're all on the same side. That ain't the same side. You see? Michael is Jesus? That's twisting scriptures. You see? Major denominations. Now, when we say like major denominations and, you know, prominent pastors, it's not to highlight the pastor. It's to understand that with these prominent pastors, there are sheep there. There are sheep there. I mean, you look at Laodicea. Remember the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3? You look at Laodicea. In one sense, it breaks my heart. But in another sense, I love it. You know why? Yes, it's sad. It breaks my heart because in Laodicea, Jesus is on the outside. And it breaks my heart. It kills me. I do not like that. It hurts. That Jesus is on the outside of the church. You know, I stand at the door and knock. And if you hear me, I will come in and sup with you, which is often referred to in, you know, in evangelism, which is, can be applicable and true. But when it is written, when you read Revelation 2 and 3, it's written to a church, the church of Laodicea. What in the world? Why is it that Jesus is on the outside of the church? And yes, Jesus is on the outside of Laodicea. But he still cries out to Laodicea. You see? He still cries out to Laodicea. And I love that. It hurts that he's on the outside of Laodicea. But he still cries out to them. You see, the Calvinist forgets that. Oh, if they were of us, they would have remained with us. Jesus is on the outside, so they're predestined to hell, according to the theory, but the theory doesn't fit scripture. And Jesus still cries out to Laodicea. I don't care. You're, I mean, I care like your denomination now, but I mean, like if you're Calvinist, your, you know, your pastor's money preacher, your pastor's reformed, your pastor's, you know, replacement theology. I'm not going to say, oh, you know what, you know, you're, you're predestined for hell. You know, your, your, your doctrine isn't right. You're predestined for hell. So, okay, bye bye. See you later. No. I say jump ship. Yes, you're talking right. The, the the money preachers, the Calvinists, reform, the uh, replacement theology, all kinds of craziness, uh, grave soaking. Yes, that theology, that doctrine, one hundred percent, completely wrong, unbiblical. But I'm not going to say see you later, have a nice day, burn in hell. No, I say jump ship, jump ship. Leave. When you understand formula, the framework of righteousness and the recipe, the formula for righteousness. It's not to like, you know, I'll keep saying it till I'm blue in the face. 
Formula, 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 formula. You know why? Because people today are forgetting all about the formula. In some cases, they don't even know the formula. Look at the lady who killed her kids in the tub. Yes, you know, there's blame on her for that choice. And I don't want to, you know, gloss over that like it's no big deal. It's a huge deal. Huge, huge, huge deal. I mean, she murdered her children. And Satan used her piety. And he used the Bible to seduce her in that very act, presenting himself as an angel of light. Look at what say, Satan, he, he used the Bible. He used the word of God along with her desire to live godly. That's what he used. He came at her with the Bible. And he was victorious in having her do that deed. But she wasn't equipped. That people get mad. Oh, you know, you shouldn't say that about a pastor. You shouldn't say that about a pastor. You shouldn't say that about God's anointed. Listen, that ain't no pastor and that ain't no anointing. Grave soaking, that ain't anointing. Mark of the beast, that ain't no anointing. Replacement theology, sorry, doesn't fit. He can call himself a pastor, she can call herself a pastor, but biblically, that ain't no pastor. You see? And pastors today are teaching Angels, the sonship of angels, Catholics worshiping angels. It's not, that's not the framework of righteousness in the Holy Bible. Now, when you go outside the Bible, you'll find it in certain texts. You'll find it in the Latin but the Bible isn't written in Latin. There's Latin translations. The Bible's in Greek and Hebrew. You see? People say, oh yeah, I, I worship Mary and I pray to angels. And oh yeah, you know, I pray to Michael and I do this and that. And oh yeah, I know we have our Bible, but in the ancient text, it's like, okay, well, how ancient? You say ancient text, but how ancient? Well, look, it's, it's written in the Latin and there's Latin this and Latin this and Latin this. That's nice. What about the Hebrew? What about the Greek? The Bible isn't written in the manuscripts. That's not Latin. You see? You'll find the worship of angels, worship of Mary. You'll find it outside of the Bible. But inside the Bible, where the Word became flesh, you won't find that. Remember, many, many, many Christs. The real Jesus, the real, His Word is above His name. It is written. 
In verse 5, for to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And I love this, because the writer, which I have a strong hunch, and I can make, make, make a strong case that it's Paul, but nobody knows if it's Paul. Could be Apollos, could be somebody else, one of his, whoever it is, has a deep understanding of, uh, of Old Testament. Which is why I said, you know, I'd be surprised if it's Peter. <laughs> no offense to Peter. I mean, like, you know, we're in our glorified bodies. We're at the marriage feast. I gotta, okay, who, I got to settle this. Who wrote? I'll shout because there's going to be multitudes and multitudes of people. Is that, you know, attention, attention, attention. I just want to know just for, you know, my, just because I've been curious my whole life. And you know, I'll be you know meeting our you know our family, our the heirs of Abraham, and I'm gonna love it so much. Our glorified bodies. Everybody's gonna be at the table feasting the marriage supper, but I'm gonna be like a little social butterfly all over the place. Like you know, I I, I want to see Hannah, I want to see Chloe, I want to see Phoebe, I want to see Paul, Peter, all these you know, uh, Epaphroditus, uh, uh, Onesiphorus, uh, Onesimus, Philemon. You know, all these beautiful people. I just want to see them. You know, have your meal. I mean, but I'm gonna shout like. Just want to settle this. Who wrote Hebrews? And then like Peter stands up. <laughs> it was me. I wrote it. <laughs> no offense to Peter. You know, I love the guy. No offense to Peter. But I have a hunch it's Paul. Just saying. And so look what happens. You know, the writer here is, if it's Paul, if it's whoever it is, Apollos maybe, the writer here is citing the Old Testament, you know, Psalm 2 and 2 Samuel 7. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now, this necessitates a deep understanding of the Old Testament to understand impossibilities, impossibilities of Jesus not being the Son of God as prophesied in the Old Testament. Now, you hear that, and you're like, what? Jesus not being the Son of God as prophesied? Well, no, notice, double negative is a positive because Jesus Christ is. 100% the Son of God. But when you understand these impossibilities, okay, you know, you just lay it out. You know, th this writer in verse 5, for to which of the angels did God the Father ever say, you are my son? Did, did he say it to Gabriel? Did he say it to Michael? Today I have begotten you, and again I will be to him a father. Did he say that to Gabriel? And he shall be to me a son. And then you just, when you under, you know, the word became flesh. And you take the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. You take the Holy Bible. And people can say whatever they want. You know, worship Mary, pray to Mary. You know, angels are, you know, sonship and sonship of angels. And, you know, uh, Michael and Jesus are the same. You take these impossible, you take a, you know, many Christs, you take one of the false Christs and all these impossibilities, impossibilities, okay, Mary, impossible, this, you know, angel, Gabriel, impossible, and, and not just of, you know, you are my son, but of like, you know, impossibilities according to the word of God, Genesis to Revelation, according to the word of God.
Okay, people want to worship Mary. Okay, this. What if you're Catholic? And I say this as a former Catholic. Somebody who used to pray to angels. Somebody who used to pray to Mary. Somebody who used to acknowledge the Pope as the vicar of Christ, the representative of God on earth, the representative of Jesus Christ on earth is being the Pope. And I say this as a former Catholic, the Lord rescued me. It's like, okay, you know, the, 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 the authority of the Pope, okay, now you read the Bible, okay, I'm sorry, that doesn't fit. The Pope says something crazy, okay, that he's crazy. The doctrine of Catholicism, you know, praying to Mary, okay, you don't find that in the Bible. Worship of angels, okay, you don't find that in the Bible. And then they say of their Jesus, they say, okay, the, the, the Jesus said this, Jesus says this, and Jesus did this. You look at the Bible, okay, that's not in the Bible. And then you realize, okay, I have a choice to make. Do I stay in the Catholic Church where all these things are biblically impossible or do I jump ship to a better way? The narrow path. The way. See, that's Catholicism. You could be a Calvinist. You could be a Calvinist. You read the Institutes. Okay, the institutes say this, and the Bible says, okay, it doesn't fit. Institutes say this, okay, the Bible says this, doesn't fit. Then you have Calvinist pastors, okay? He says, take the mark of the beast, I'll still be saved. You read the Bible, take the mark of the beast, you'll burn in hell. Okay, I mean, that's kind of an easy one. Do I stay in the Calvinist church or do I jump ship to the way, a better way, the narrow path? You see? Or say you're the skeptical non-believer and you're just going to just settle the score, okay? It's Jesus, all these Christians, they're so crazy and, okay, I'm, I'm really going to hammer these Christians. But in order to hammer these Christians, I want to know what the Bible says. So this Christian, this crazy guy, this crazy lady keeps telling me about Jesus. So I'm going to take this Jesus that she tells me about I'm going to take this Jesus that she tells me about and I'm going to read the Bible and try to make him fit or try to make him not fit. I just want to find out. And the reading, 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 all of a sudden realizes she's not wrong. The guy who I thought was crazy, the lady who I thought was crazy, they're not wrong. You see? You can take an atheist, straight up atheist. You can take a Satanist. Sometimes I have these conversations with Satanists and they hate Christians. They hate Christians. And the majority of the time, they hate Christians because of what they have been exposed to by Christians and a lot of hypocrisy, a lot of sex. Where a Satanist can say, I want nothing to do with Jesus. Well, why is that Satanist? Well, I don't say that, but I mean, why is that? Speaking to a Satanist. Well, because I grew up in the church and the pastor molested me. I grew up in the church and the youth pastor was convicted he had sex with the kids. 
I want nothing to do with Christianity. You see? And the Satanists say that. And I completely get it. I completely understand. And in one respect, I'm on board. I want you to have nothing to do with what they call Christianity, with that kind of Christianity. Because, you know, biblically, that ain't Christianity. You see? There is a formula. You see? And so, when you have this understanding of the Old Testament and the understanding of the impossibilities of Jesus not being the Son of God and the possibilities of Jesus being the Son of God, now you have a choice to make. Now the ball's in your court. You see? In these Old Testament passages that the writer of Hebrews, which have a hunch, it's Paul, strong hunch. I can make a strong case. These Old Testament passages, we're not talking about angels. We're talking about father and son. I mean, verse 5, for to which of the angels did God the Father, did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Which angel did God ever say that to? Now, according to Catholicism, oh yeah, he says it to a whole bunch of angels. Oh, in the ancient texts. Oh, in the ancient texts of Catholicism, oh yeah, he says it to everybody. Okay. Which ancient, in what is the ancient text written? Oh, it's written in Latin. Okay. Well, the biblical ancient text? Hebrews. Or, or <laughs> Hebrew. Hebrew. You see? These passages of the, the psalmist? Hebrew. Greek. New Testament, largely, predominantly. No Latin. And so the Catholic has a choice to make. Because, yeah, the angelic sonship, yeah, the, the ancient texts say it in Latin. There is no Latin in the Bible. The ancient manuscripts there is no Latin. You see? It is outside of the Bible. Now, the Word, the Logos, became flesh. And when the Logos is understood, now the Rhema goes forth, which is, you know, the utterance and the narrative, which is what we're doing right now. The narrative. The word goes forth. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Which is why we study the Bible verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept. And there is that arresting nature. I mean, if you're Catholic and you're listening, I understand because, you know, you're probably offended. You're probably offended. As a former Catholic, 
I was offended when Christians would say certain things to me. But, you know, biblically speaking, you know, being offended is one of the signs of the last days. So I mean, you're kind of fulfilling prophecy. I mean, if you're Catholic and you're listening, you're offended, you know, you're fulfilling prophecy, the bad prophecy that many will be offended. But Jesus says, you know, uh, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Don't be offended. I mean, there is an offensive aspect of truth. But it's not being offended for the sake of offending. It's being offended. Now, when we're offended, it's like, okay, I have a choice to make. Am I going to, you know, walk away and, you know, wallow in the mud and, you know, be stupid and be a baby and, you know, you know, reject this and reject that and say, okay, I'm offended. This guy's mean. This lady's mean. And, you know, be a little baby about it. Which, you know, you see that with like, you know, the, like the young kids, you know, a, ba- you know a, a baby doesn't like, you know, being told, you know, certain things by a parent. And you see the baby have their little hissy fit. But adults do it too. Oh, I'm going to have a hissy fit and I'm going to stay here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a hissy fit. You tell me these things about the Bible and I'm going to have my hissy fit and stay here. I'm offended. I'm offended. Now, I've been offended before as a former Catholic. I was like deeply offended. But praise be to the Lord because of what that produces inside my mind and inside my heart. All of a sudden I realized like, oh my goodness, my problem, it's not with this guy. It's not with this lady. It's with the word of God, the Bible. And I don't want to have beef with the Bible. I don't want to have any issues with the Bible. And so I made a choice. Like When you hear us say, you know, jump ship, you know, your Catholic jump ship into a better way. Hey, I tell you from experience. You see, and praise be to the Lord. You know, we don't say jump ship, you know, jump in the water, you're going to die. We say jump ship and welcome aboard. A better way. And this writer of Hebrews, which angel did God ever say this to? That you're my son? Which angel? You see? And so all of a sudden, we see in verse 6, but when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. You see, these references have impossibilities to, to tie angels to sonship. Now, there are prominent pastors who teach it. There are religions who teach it. Sonship of angels and worship of angels. But in the Bible, you will not find that. You see? And even deeper, you know, do do angels worship angels? The answer is no. Fallen angels do. The fallen angels worship Lucifer, another fallen angel. See, these impossibilities are presented. And when you understand, you know, you could be Catholic. You could be Mormon. You could be Jehovah's Witness. You could be a Buddhist. You could be Hindu Vedas. You could be Wicca. You could be anything. And you come to the Word of God. And, you know, the condition of your heart has to be right. You can't come to the Word of God like, okay, I'm going to attack the Word and, you know... 
you come to the Word of God with just a heart that is open to receive the possibilities. Remember, it's the Lord who says, come, let us reason together. And the Lord knows that. Remember, you know, Jesus says, you search the scriptures for in them you think there is eternal life. That's what he says to the Pharisees. Now you take that, Pharisees who search the scriptures and Jesus says, you think there is eternal life in the scriptures. But then you take the Bereans who also search the scriptures. And for the Pharisees, it's bad. For the Bereans, it's good. They both search the scriptures. Well, what's the condition of their heart? Because the Bereans search the heart because either they want to see if what is being taught is biblically true, if it fits, if it's impossible, or if it's possible, what is being taught. And they're searching the scriptures with a noble heart. But the Pharisees, they search the scriptures because they want to, to twist the scriptures to, to, to please themselves and to attack Jesus. So Bereans search the scriptures, the Pharisees search the scriptures, and of the Pharisees, Jesus says, you think there is eternal life in the scriptures. And there is absolutely eternal life in the scriptures. But what is the condition of the heart? You see? What is the condition of the heart? Because is eternal life in searching the scriptures, is the eternal life in the scriptures, is it effectuated in my heart, in your heart? You see? all Effectuation, it's a big deal. When you understand this framework and effectuation, all of a sudden you understand the possibilities and the impossibilities. People say, okay, go ahead and worship angels. You read the Bible, you search the scriptures, you realize biblically impossible. Preacher guy says, hey, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. You search the scriptures with a noble heart, biblically impossible. I mean, unless you want to burn in hell, it's possible. I mean, unless you want to burn in hell. I mean, you know, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. That's biblically impossible because, you know, you take the mark of the beast, you're going to burn in hell. But salvation in taking the mark of the beast, biblically impossible. And the knowledge, which is a gift of the spirit. And with this knowledge as an equipping. And when you have this knowledge, which is a gift of the spirit, it helps you further grow and deeper grow in Christ. To become deadly. Not deadly for the sake of being deadly, but deadly so that, you know, attacks, you can be like Caleb fighting valiantly. You can be like Paul and Chloe fighting valiantly. Not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You see? And so we see here in verse Seven, in verse seven, and of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. You see, this is no small thing. This is no small thing. And that's what the Lord says 
of the angels. It says in verse 7, in verse 8, but to the Son. See, we make these distinctions between Son and angels. Angels, God says one thing. Son, he says something entirely different. Worship of angels? Unbiblical. You'll find it in Latin texts. But Latin text is not the Bible. You see? The Bible is Hebrew and Greek, largely. But you won't find Latin. In verse 8, but to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. You see, do angels... Angels, do they have thrones forever? You see, it's impossible. It's impossible. People attribute certain passages of the Old Testament to angels. They attribute certain passages of the Old Testament to David, which there are biblical impossibilities. But to the son of David, son of man, See, the Pharisees, they got mad when people would see Jesus and listen to Jesus and hear Jesus in his earthly ministry, and they would call him the son of David. The Pharisees got mad at the people. Because to call Jesus the son of David is to understand like he's the Messiah. To refer to Jesus as the son of David, the Pharisees got mad. You see? There are biblical impossibilities for certain verses to be applied to angels, to be applied to David, but they are completely possible to be applied to the Son of God, the Son of David. You see? But to the Son, in verse 8, he says, Your throne, O, o God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You see? People say, well, it's a, psalm, it's a psalm about God. You know, don't be silly. It's a psalm about God. Okay, let's read on. So if it's not about the angels, it's not about the sun, it's not about David, and people say, well, it's about God. Okay, let's read on. And in verse 9, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. You see, does the Almighty have an Almighty? Does the Almighty have an Almighty? Now, it hurts to even utter that. Because there's only the Almighty. Elohim, the triune nature of God. You see, people say, you know, when I say people, largely my Jewish friends. If you're listening, you're Jewish. I love you. I understand the abrasiveness of these words that I speak, especially if you know you're you know deep in Torah, Talmud. You've been a rabbi for decades, your whole life. You're an old man and you've been a rabbi. And you think, you know, Christians are crazy. You know, you, you like us, but you think we're crazy. I understand.
understand. I get it. But there are certain impossibilities. Let's put aside the New Testament. There are certain impossibilities. You see, the, you know, the, in verse 5, for to which of the angels did he ever say? And you look at these qualifiers. You know, does Jesus, does God, let's put aside the New Testament, but does God ever say to angels, you know, you are my son, you are my son, I will be your father. And, you know, sometimes, you know, these rabbis, they say, well, Catholics do it. You know, you, you Christians are all the same. Listen, Catholicism isn't biblical Christianity. That's not Christianity. Catholics do it. That's nice. Oh, but he's speaking about David. A throne, you know, a throne forever and ever? David, it's impossible. You see? Well, that's a, a second Messiah that is coming. Well, wait a second. Why is there one Messiah? Why is there, you know, a, 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 a two Messiahs? And that's when you get up to the two Messiah theory. No, one Messiah Two comings. One Messiah, two comings. The first time, rejected. You see? Rejected. And so you look at verse 8, but to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. And the majority of my Jewish friends... Oh, that's, uh, that's you know, re regarding the Lord. That's, that's God. But then you get to verse 9. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. So if verse 8 is the Almighty, is there another Almighty? It hurts to say that because there isn't. But these impossibilities must be reconciled. Remember, it's the Almighty Himself. He's the one who says, Come, let us reason together. How could a throne be forever and ever with an anointing of the Almighty? How? How? I'll give you the answer. There is only one way you see there is only one way his name is jesus for my jewish friends you're listening you're jewish you might be a rabbi and you say you christians worship jesus you have your god and we have ours but let me tell you something my Jewish friend whom I love, the Almighty, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, has a son to the seed. Remember the seed in Torah? Remember the seed in Torah, in Genesis. The Torah testifies of this truth. Moses wrote of Jesus. The prophets testify of this truth. Isaiah testifies of this truth that the Most High, that he has a son, not applied to himself, not applied to the angels, not applied to David. The prophets testify, the psalmists testify. 
want this to be a point of argument with my Jewish friends. But you're mistaken. And I say unto you, hear Moses. Hear the prophets. And if you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the only begotten Son of the Almighty, now the ball's in your court. You have a choice to make. And if that's you, hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to Christ. Understanding the Bible. The Old Testament. There are biblical impossibilities when applied to David, when applied to angels. There are biblical impossibilities when applying to the Almighty Himself. Well, it doesn't fit. Remember, the square's got to fit in the square, the circle in the circle, triangle in the triangle, trapezoid in the trapezoid, octagon in the octagon. You know, I don't know any other shapes. You know, I do, but I can't think of any. But everything's got to fit perfectly. Rectangle in the rectangle. Everything's got to fit perfectly. You can't take a circle and jam it in the square. You can't take a square and jam it in the triangle. Everything's got to fit perfectly. Triangle, triangle, circle, circle, trapezoid, trapezoid, octagon, octagon. It's got to fit perfectly. And for everything to fit perfectly, there's only one way. There's only one narrow path that is revealed. And it's Jesus Christ. You see? And this anointing in verse 9, Therefore God, your God, has anointed you this anointing with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Verse 10, And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. Now, we've already referenced, we've you know, referenced Genesis 1, Colossians 1, John 1, and in John 1 again in verse 3, All things made through Christ. You see? All things made through Christ. In verse 10, And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up and they will be changed. Now, this is very forward-looking because, you know, uh, 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 understand, there, there's newness of life. For the Christian? I mean, if you're not a believer, there can be newness of life for you. But it only happens through Jesus Christ. It cannot be manufactured. It only happens through Jesus Christ. But this newness, it doesn't just apply to people. Because forward-looking, very forward-looking, there's a new heaven or there will be a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, very forward-looking. But it is written here in verse 12, but you are the same. Remember, God never changes. God never changes, but you are the same. Now, who is referenced here? It's the Lord. 
and your years will not fail. You see, there are impossibilities. Is it the angels? No. David? No. For to which, verse 5, for to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son? Today I have begotten you. You won't find that. You'll find it in certain texts. You'll find it in Latin. But you won't find it in the word of God. In verse 13, but to which of the angels have has he ever said, remember, quoting the psalmist, to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? With every, every single subject, it is impossible except for only one. There is only one way. His name is Jesus. You see? Now, it's not, not to discredit the angels in any way, shape, or form. Not to discredit the angels. But of the angels, it is written here in verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits? Now, very important to note, these are angels that serve the Lord. Obedient angels that serve the Lord. Gabriel, Michael, the good angels. There are fallen angels. There is Lucifer. And they present themselves as angels of light. Just like the lady in the, the lady with the kids in the tub, seduced by Satan. Satan says, you know, thus saith the Lord, but he's a liar, a murderer from the beginning. You see? And she wasn't equipped. Instead of saying, you know, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus, she was obedient to demons. Lucifer. So it's very important to remember we're speaking about the angels that serve the Lord. Angels of the Lord. Not the angels of Lucifer or Lucifer himself. In verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Now, that's hardcore. That's hardcore. Now, remember, not 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 to say that the angels are nothing because the angels you know are beautiful beautiful and they serve the lord but they have a role they have a job and it's these ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation now in paul's letters our study in 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 paul's letters you know after Acts, we have Romans, and, you know, we get all the way to Philemon. Now, we could, you know, if, in fact, Paul wrote Hebrews, we could add in Hebrews, but we're not going to do that because it's not, you know, 100% like this is Paul. But in Paul's letters, we have a deep understanding of formula and the understanding of the effectuation of very, very beautiful and wonderful things. 
just as when we look at the pastoral epistles, we understand deeper about ecclesia, koinonia, love feast, power and gifts of the Holy Spirit, which I mean, biblical ecclesia is very, very rare. Even more rare is koinonia. Even more rare is love feast. And even more rare is the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's not impossible. It's very possible. It's rare. But there's something else. I mean, if that wasn't enough, then that's more than enough. But there's something else. It's the aid and ministering of angels to those who will inherit salvation. Now, this is seen in the book of Acts, but it's not like in the entirety of the book of Acts. It's seen in the book of Acts, but it's very rare. We see it with Paul, we see it with Peter, and we see it with Philip. Very rare. Paul, Peter, and Philip, these are different guys. These are different guys. These guys are not like the average bear. You could say even more so with Paul. I would say even more so with Paul. And you see angels ministering in the book of Acts. Now, that's ultra rare. Like super, super rare. Now, today... You have in very, very predominant uh, certain uh, uh, denominations and very popular teachings where the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not for today. That's what people teach. But they're fools. And it's found largely in Calvinism and Reformed theology. There's other denominations, but it's largely Calvinism, Reformed theology, and Presbyterianism, which is, you know, one of the derivatives of Calvinism. And they say, oh yeah, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that was for 2,000 years ago, it's not for today. Which is, it's not only unbiblical to have that doctrine and Lean into those doctrines. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Nowhere in the Bible will you find an expiration date on the gifts and the power and the moving of the Holy Spirit. You will not find in the Bible an expiration date. But you will find an expiration date in people. And you know what those people have done? They have extinguished the Holy Spirit, which the Bible says, do not quench the Spirit. Greek translation, do not extinguish the Spirit. You see? And that's when, have you ever gone into a church and it feels like a college course? You go to church and it's like, okay, you know, hi, how you doing? And yeah, you're nice and you're nice. 
but it just doesn't feel like fam- it feels like you're like you're like coworkers, you know, like you're just like you know, like you're you have a it's amicable relationship, and there's this, but it's not family, and I'm not talking about biological. There's something missing. You don't have to feel weird. You know, I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, you know exactly what it is. There's no koinonia. Remember, very specific formula. And the Lord sees, the Lord knows. I mean, you take the majority of churches. The word church is, you know, where, you know, it could be a social club. It can be, you know, it could be just a gathering of people. And people say, okay, this is church. This is church. This is church. But there are biblical qualifiers and effectuators for ecclesia. Where, okay, this is a church, but it's not ecclesia. You see, where you could be like a church of, you know, a thousand people, a church of 500 people. Yeah, you can call it church and, you know, it's acknowledged as a church. But is it ecclesia? A gathering of those who are called. Majority of times, the answer is no. But if it is, let's go to the next category. So, say you and me were looking for a church, and there's 1,000 churches on the dot, not 999, not 1,001. There is 1,000 churches, and we go to every single one. Now, you know, just for the sake of argument here. We go to every single one. And of the thousand, say a hundred are Ecclesia. So now we can shave off 900. You see? Now the churches are smaller. You know, a thousand, you got some mega churches in there and a lot, a lot of people here, a lot of people there. But now we're at a hundred where it's Ecclesia. It's not the thousand. We've shaved off 900. Now we're talking, you know, smaller churches. Maybe there's a hundred people in the fellowship. A hundred churches with a hundred people. Now we go to the next qualifier. Of these hundred, where is found koinonia? Now of the hundred, we can shave off, say, eighty. No koinonia. It's ecclesia. No koinonia. So we shave off 80. Now there's 20. I mean, there's a total of 1,000, but we've shaved off 980. Now there's 20, where it's ecclesia and koinonia. Now we take that 20. Okay, where can we find love feast? Love feast. Remember, koinonia, that's like... When saints become better than family, biological family. So now we have, I forgot what number we used. (laughs) I'm an old guy. I forgot what number we used. So we'll say 10. I forgot what number it was, but say there's 10. (laughs) So we have 10 now where there's uh, koinonia. Now, you know, where is their love feast? So instead of 10, now there's five where there's love feast. Where it's like 
Like, oh my goodness, like, you know, like there's a thousand churches, but there's five where it's straight up love feasts, where this brother and sister in Christ, they're like better than my biological brother, biological sister. It's like, wow, this is straight up love feast. Like, I want every single soul in this body to be in paradise, and they want the same for me, and we are together going to paradise. Now, the Lord sees all this. The Lord knows it. He knows the hearts. He knows the mind. He knows everything. Now, now that we've studied the pastoral epistles and, you know, our studies in 1 Corinthians on through Philemon, to understand, you know, love feast in a fellowship. You know, you, you hear say love feast, but that's loaded. Because you know exactly what it takes to have love feast. And the Lord sees all of it. Now of that, I forgot the numbers again. So say five. So, <laughs> so say five. Where it's love feast. Now, any of those churches, any of these five churches, these are super safe. Whoever the pastor is, you know that. And you and me know we're looking for, there's a thousand churches. The mega churches need not apply because we're talking love feast. Now, these five churches, they're probably small churches, less than 20. You see? And then all of a sudden, it's like, you know, any of these churches, it's safe to be in. Where whoever the pastor is, you and me know, and we know formula, we know it is safe to submit to this guy. Biblically. Because he's watching out for our souls. He's not going to say, hey, submit to me, you know, uh, clean my toilets, you know. Hey, submit to me and mow my lawn, you know, free labor, you know, mow my, mow my, mow my lawn and, you know, be the groundskeeper and, you know, do all this and. Go wash my car. Hey, you know, submit to me and go wash my car. You know, submit to me and, you know, uh, this and that, whatever it is. That's carnal. And when do you see Paul ever, you know, like, hey, you have to submit to me. You have to submit to me. No, he just lays it out there. And he says, follow me as I follow Christ. When you understand formula, you know. You know what that entails. Somebody says, follow me as I follow Christ. Hey, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. You know, I'm not following that guy. I'm going to follow that guy to hell. I'm not going to follow that guy. Somebody says, follow me as I follow Christ. Come on, let's go grave soaking. No, I'm not going to follow that guy to hell. You know, he wants to dive in the lake of fire. Okay, go for it. That's on him. You're breaking my heart, but you're, you know, if that's, you know, God doesn't make robots. You want to, you know, dive into the lake of fire? Hey, you know, that's your choice. Ball's in your court. But as for me and my house, you know, we're going to serve the Lord. And prophetically speaking, those in your house, you know, prophetically speaking, those in your household, those under your roof are potential enemies, you know, potential enemies. I mean, prophetically speaking, I, I pray that that doesn't happen. But prophetically speaking, a man's enemies will be under his roof. You see? So I meant, you know, we say, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. But even deeper, as for me, I will serve the Lord. 
Who among us will say that? Who among us will do that? Not just today, not just tomorrow, but until the very end. You see? So those five churches where there's love feast, very, very specific formula, ultra rare. We know biblically these pastors, whoever they are, they might be super like, you know, they might be chubby. They might be skinny. They might be black. They might be white. Any color in between. They might, you know, have a, 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 a dialecta. But they teach truth. They teach the truth of God's holy word. You and me, we know it is safe to submit to that guy. The pastor. He doesn't have a pastor parking spot. No self-exaltation. We know it is safe. And in those fellowships, five pastors, five fellowships, tiny churches, probably... Less than 50 for sure, but I'm thinking more like less than 20. <laughs> Very rare. Now, in those fellowships, you will see gifts of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit. You will see people speaking in tongues. And in fellowship, there must be order. At most, three you know, uh, 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 two speaking in tongues and then, you know, and with an interpreter. Some of my, you know, speak in tongues and, you know, the pastor says, okay, do we have anybody to interpret? Is there a brother, somebody who has the gifts of tongues, somebody who has the gifts of, gift of uh, 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 interpretation? Brother says, you know, speaks in tongues and, you know, sister, do you have an interpretation for this? And sister says, you know, thus saith the Lord. Or sister says, you know, no, I don't, I don't have an interpretation. Okay, then, you know, we'll, we'll table this. It's not to shun and say like, hey, don't ever do this. No, there must be interpretation. If there's no interpretation, okay, we're going to table this and let's study the word. Another person, a young guy with the gift of prophecy. You know, the Lord says there's going to be a famine coming. So the church prepares for the famine. You see? Hard times are coming. Somebody with the gift of prophecy. You see? To prepare. For the saints. Remember family. Remember Agabus? The gift of the uh, prophet, the, the prophet Agabus, the prophet, he said the famine is coming. And so they made provisions. The famine came and the saints were safe. See, the gifts of the Spirit. But it doesn't end there. There's more. Now, doctrinally speaking, biblically speaking, and in obedience, we know that there are five churches. Remember, in the town, there's in the city, there's a thousand churches on the dot. But now we know that there's five where it is safe. 
the fellowship, it is safe. Pastors, godly men. Gifts of the Spirit, evident. Power of the Spirit, evident. But there's something else. The aid and the ministering of angels. For those who will inherit salvation, as is written here in verse 14. And this is rare. In the book of Acts, this is rare. It's seen with Paul, it's seen with Peter, and it's seen with Philip. This is why we give warning. I mean, if you've been listening to us for a while, you, you might have heard us, you know, uh, you know, if, if you're in a fellowship where the formula is right, according to Scripture, not where it makes you feel good. According to Scripture. I mean, you know, if, you know, if you're carnal and it makes you feel good, not right, the formula. The formula is not right. But if you're living godly in obedience to the Lord, a sweet aroma unto the Lord, and you go into a fellowship and it's like, wow, this feels like home. Praise be to the Lord. But you're, if you're in a fellowship where the formula is right, according to scripture, stay there. It's not to exalt pastor or ministry. It's for your safety in very perilous times, which will grow worse. Now, remember, in the example, a city of a thousand churches, doctrinally speaking, five are safe. And where these five are safe, you're going you're gonna to see the fruit of it. You're going to see the gifts and the power of the Spirit. Now, 995 churches, you won't see that. In some of these churches, in say 700 churches, you're going to hear pastors say, oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. The Holy Spirit doesn't move like that anymore. The Holy Spirit doesn't do gifts like the like he did in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit doesn't. You're going to hear that in 700 churches. The majority. And people say, well, why? if that's the case, if there's no expiration date on the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, why don't we see it today? Look at the vessel. Look at the vessel. Somebody wants to do his sex, his pornography, his drugs, his crack, his alcohol. You think the Spirit is going to When the Spirit is trying to do a work inside of that vessel, how can the Spirit do a work through that vessel? How can the Spirit gift? When the Spirit is trying to soften that heart. You see? You look at the vessel. You have a church with 5,000 people. Why is it that we don't see tongues, interpretation? Now, you know, some churches you see tongues, but, you know, there's no order. There's no order. It's disorder. And God is not the author of confusion. There is order in the fellowships. You see? 
All these people, a church of 5,000 people and 5,000 people are speaking in tongues. Well, there's no order. Does anybody have interpretation? What, what, what is the Lord? If it's the Lord, what is he saying? What is he trying to say? If it's the Lord. Sometimes people just speak in tongues. They, they claim they're speaking in tongues, but it's not tongues. Because where is the interpretation? Somebody speaks in, on, in tongues on Sunday and Sunday night they're getting baked. Somebody speaks in tongues on, you know, uh, on, on a, 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 a Thursday prayer night and they speak in tongues. Saturday, Friday night they're at the strip club. They say they're speaking in tongues, but that's not tongues. You see? And people say, well, if, if there's no expiration date on the Holy Spirit and the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit, then why don't we see it today? You look at the vessel. Look at the sex. Look at the drugs. Look at the crack. Look at the rock and roll. Look at all. Look at the carnal living. Look at the extortion. Look at the uh, uh, the uh, all the carnality that's in the church today. When the spirit is trying to get hearts to jello. That's what the spirit is trying to do, attempting to do. But people are quenching and extinguishing the Spirit. And as a result, you will not see gifts of the Spirit. You see? And so a a city with a thousand churches, you and me, we, we understand formula and we're looking where is it where it is safe? And we've identified five and we love everybody. It's like, wow, this guy is like my, my uncle. You know, I love, he's like my brother, my sister in Christ. This guy, I love him more than my biological family. This lady, I love her more than my biological family. These kids, they're like my own kids. I love them. It's like, this is so beautiful. There's love feast. You know, like I want all of us to get to paradise and they want me to get to paradise. And there's love feast and there's the, the power of the spirit, the gifts of the spirit and When perilous times come, those fellowships, the the five, something else will be effectuated. And not just during perilous times, but there will be the aid and the ministering of angels. But it's for those who will inherit salvation. You see how effectuation is a big deal? What is it that's effectuating? Remember, a thousand churches, they all got the title church. This is church. This is church. You know, times a thousand. A thousand churches. But when you know formula and effectuation, it's identified, okay? 700 are reformed and Calvinist and they say the expiration date on the Holy Spirit and that's not in the Bible. So, you know, of course they got their doctrinal things. So, okay, let's shave these guys off. Now, if you're Calvinist reformed, I love you, but, you know, listen to our studies about Calvinism and reformed theology. You'll understand more. Our studies through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. You'll understand more. Jump ship. Jump ship. 
Not jump ship so you can drown in the water. Jump ship to a better way. Welcome aboard. You understand biblical impossibilities or gain an understanding of biblical impossibilities of the teachings of John Calvin and the teachings of Calvinism. The teachings of study Bible guy. Well-respected, well-respected, America's pastor, America's pastor. That's nice. What does the Bible have to say? You see? So we shave off 700. You see? And we boil it down to five, where we know it is safe. Now, when times are dandy, it's beautiful, you know, fellowship, everything is beautiful, family, love feast, you know, gift, power of the spirit, everything, you know, it's beautiful. But when perilous times come, when perilous times come, 995 churches are in trouble. But the ministering and the aid of angels Servants of the Most High and sent, as in verse 14 says, sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. Now, there's, you know, the ministry of, you know, when you get into ministry, there's ministry of saints unto saints, the body caring for the body. But other Servants, ministering spirits of the Most High, sent forth for that purpose to minister to those who are inheriting salvation. The aid and the ministry of angels were an angel straight up like, remember the angel, the, 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 the jailbreak with Peter? Peter thought he was in a dream. Perilous times for remember the the church the the saints the believers they were you know they were at, at nighttime praying. They thought they you know the the the, the little girl goes and answers the door and then she goes hey Peter's at the door they thought she was crazy they thought, oh you're, you're you're just seeing things you're it's late at night you're tired you're seeing things you're just it's a ghost you're seeing a ghost. You see they thought she was crazy she said no it's Peter. Sure enough it was Peter. Angels aiding. You see? We see it in the book of Acts. Even that is rare in the book of Acts. It's seen with Peter. It's seen with Philip. It's seen with Paul. And yet, the activity of the spirit realm. There's already activity of the spirit realm but made evident in the lives of the saints, which, I mean, koinonia, I mean, ecclesia is rare enough as it is. Even more rare is koinonia. Even more rare is love feast. Even rarer than that is the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit. And like ultra rare is this activity of angels. Not for worship, not to, you know, the, to, to worship angels. Remember the angel, the, the angel, the angels of the most high, they're the ones that say, see that you don't do that. 
Don't worship me. I'm a servant like you. That's what the angels say. It's the ministry of angels unto the remnant. Ultra, ultra, ultra specific formula. Satan knows this. See, he, he doesn't want any fellowship to reach this level of ultra specific formula. He does not want that. He doesn't want any fellowship to have koinonia. Love feast? No, he doesn't want that to happen. Gifts of the spirit. Because once the gifts of the spirit are evident, he starts to lose ground. That's when you get into like a real revival. You see, not a fake revival. People could say, oh yeah, revival, revival, revival. But there is evidence of real revival where like strip clubs go out of business, bars go out of business, you know, things go out of business because it's like a moving of the spirit. Prostitutes, they have to get, you know, jobs because, you know, nobody, nobody's, they have no customers. Strippers, they go out of business, you know, they get, they get jobs because there's nobody's, you know, the, the crack dealers on the corner, they have to get jobs. They have to go to other cities, other towns, because the moving of the Spirit, there's a revival, a real revival. And they have no customers. Bars go out of business. That's what the evidence of real revival happens. But then you have people say, oh, yeah, revival here. We're having revival. We're having revival. Then, you know, a week later, you see in the newspaper, oh, you know, this pastor's busted. He was molesting children. Ain't no revival. You see, in these perilous times, which they're here and it's going to get worse. When the formula is ultra specific and ultra right and beautiful, you will see these things. You will see this ministering and aid of angels. Listen, the age of the megachurch, that's over. The age of the megachurch is over. Now, tiny church is where koinonia can be found. It's still rare. But more likely as the biblical model for the last days is the home fellowship. Just like the book of Acts. Home fellowship. Remember the home invasion? That was a home fellowship, but I meant... Look at Philemon, you know, the early church. Home fellowships. It's the model of the last day saints in fellowship. And this happens as the church, as prophesied, enters judgment. People say, oh, you don't see the word church in Revelation. After, after chapter 4, you don't see uh, the, the word church in Revelation because it's been raptured. Well, that's according to a pre-tribulation rapture theory, which is a theory. And we say theory because it's unbiblical. Listen to our studies through the Thessalonian letters. You'll understand more. Messages about, you know, when is the rapture? Uh, Jacob's trouble biblically explained. When you go to uh, 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 our website, thewayunderground.com, thewayunderground.com, all these resources are there for you to see, archived, for you to listen to, to equip you. Oh, the word, you don't see the word church after chapter four in Revelation because it's been raptured. Nope. 
The church enters judgment. But you do find the word saint. Oh, those are tribulation saints. Wrong again. You see? There will be safety. There will be safety in the last days. But just like an example we gave with the thousand churches, that safety will be not with the thousand, not with 995, with five. The formula is not just very specific, ultra specific. And these are things that will be seen, the ministry and aid of angels. See? When we understand formula, how many times in these, the last several months and years, formula, 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 formula. It's not just for the sake, you know, your ears can fall off, you know, formula, we get it, formula, formula, formula. Because we have to understand. And when this formula is ultra, ultra specific, and when you have this, Stay where you're at. If you don't have this, number one, pray for it. Seek it. And it's very rare. It's likely that you won't find it. I don't want to be a you know Debbie Downer, but it's very likely that you won't find it. Because remember, prophetically speaking, the last day's church, we're entering judgment. We're entering a period of judgment. Judgment comes first to the house of God. You know, everybody's speaking about the rapture. Oh, the rapture, the rapture is imminent. The rapture is imminent. Well, the Bible specifically says the rapture is not imminent. Specifically says, not imminent. Listen to our study through Thessalonians. You'll understand more. Specifically says, not imminent. And people are saying it's imminent. And I've had these conversations with pre-tribulation rapture people. They tell me I'm a servant of Satan. They tell me I'm going to burn in hell, but I don't say that to them. Like they tell me I'm a servant of Satan because I don't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. But the reason why is because it's not in the Bible. You see? And to have these conversations, it's like, okay, wait a second. If the 70th week of Daniel happens, it begins, and we're still here, and a world leader comes ushering in a period of peace. And then there's uh, a, a, another guy who comes on the scene who says, you know, implements a, a, a mark of the beast system. Will you take the mark of the beast? And these pre-tribulation rapture people, they tell me, yes, I will get that mark on my hand. I will get that mark on the forehead because we're still here. That's how much they hold on to a pre-tribulation rapture theory. I will go ahead and take the mark of the beast and I will go ahead and take the mark of the beast on my hand, on my forehead because we're still here. You see, instead of letting go of that theory, instead of letting go of that theory, the pre-tribulation rapture is also fulfilling a, will fulfill a future prophecy. Where the mockers will come out. Where is the promise of his coming? Where is the promise of his coming? 
You see how crafty Satan is? Perilous times are here and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. But there is safety. But there's a very specific formula for safety. And angelic activity. Ministering to the saints. To those who will inherit salvation. We're going to end our study here, pick up in chapter 2 next week, but to the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.